this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thanks for leading us this morning. Great stuff. Great stuff. So for me, also new faces, faces I've never seen before. That's neat to see. Uh, not just without masks, but just it's pretty cool. So um, I think I said to the last group, they were a pretty good looking group. Maybe you guys might be a little better looking. Maybe, I don't, you know, I don't want to start, I don't want to start a, uh, you know, a 930, 11 o'clock war or anything. But, um, but anyway, good, good to see you all today. Uh, as always, honored to be up here um, Again, let's just be praying for Matt and Rachel and their family just to just really have a wonderful time of relaxing and celebrating God's goodness in their life. So, um, okay, so today we're going to be in James uh, 5, 13 through 18. So if you want to take a quick second to turn there or flip on your phone or whatever you do with that. Um, us old guys, you know, we just, we break out the stone where we've chiseled it in. Right, Glenn? Is that... <laughs> No, what? I said us guys. Wait a second. <laughs> I love that brother. Uh, he might not love me right now, but that's okay. Um, no. So, it, you know, it's, think about it. I, I was, I've said this in a couple services. Um, in a time where we are searching for truth, we have it in our hands. I mean, think about that. God's truth in our hands. I mean, you know, people are trying to, they're searching for all kinds of things. We, we have the answer. Now, God revealed that answer to us. It's not like we're something special. But we have the answer, really, to help this world. And um, I hope that in turn today that we leave with even more changed lives and we go out and, and really, you know, saturate the world and so forth. But anyway, so let's talk about where we've been. So James has been a book. I, I've often referred to it as Christianity 101. You can pick a couple verses and just try to live by them for this week. There's just so much in there, so much to chew on. We've learned about endurance in tough times, being doers of the word, not just uh, listeners of the word. Um, the idea of taking head knowledge and moving it into our hearts and hands, very, very important. Justice versus injustice, Matt took us through that. Controlling your tongue and so, so much more. And today, we're specifically going to be talking about prayer. So Matt originally had reached out to me and said, hey, when I hit chapter 5, I have this vision of kind of what it means to fight. And in my mind, I was going, fight? Where do you see fight? I don't see the word fight in here. But the more you go through this passage, especially the book, you see that idea of fighting against injustice and fighting not against each other, but for each other being for each other, not against, and so forth and so on. And I think one of the things we're going to look at today is really where that fight can happen in our urges that we struggle with, with maybe the things against prayer. And hopefully that's what you leave with. So the central focus of this passage is on prayer and how we as followers of Jesus Christ should deal with our suffering, sickness, sin, and even our times of joy and cheerfulness. We will learn that we must fight our urges to do life on our own and really to be a part of believer, a body of believers. 
And this is my hope, and this is what I've been praying for all of us, not just you, all of us, me included, is that we understand what it means to fight together in our suffering, our sickness, our sin, and even fight together when things are going great. Okay. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to read through the passage first for you. I want to read through 13 through 18, and then we'll go verse by verse by verse. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, let's open those and we'll go from there. Okay, so verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And then we, we see this with Elijah here, which is really great out of the Old Testament. Elijah was a human being as we are. Important to take that away, folks. He was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Okay. So let's look at verse 13. We're going to start there. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praise. So since the beginning of the book of James, James has been concerned with his readers' response to all the trials that they would face and that we would face today. This passage is really no different. James changes from trials of money and injustice, again, what Matt's been talking about the last couple weeks, to where we see this idea of suffering and sickness. Anybody here had to deal with suffering and sickness, right? Think about the time we're living in, COVID, friends have cancer, I've lost both my parents to cancer. You know, you think of that. This passage relates to us too. It, it was, again, what did, what did they take from it then? What do we take from it now? So those who read this letter would need to respond to such suffering in those areas. So whether suffering or cheerful, the right response is to turn to God, praying and praising and are we going through similar situations? We absolutely are. So here is where we need to fight. And the fight really is within ourselves. Our sinful desires, our urges, our wants, our desires, and so forth. Or even, as I've often thought of, that Satan kind of whispers in our ear, trying to tell us things like, you know, God is he's trying to hurt you. He's probably paying you back for something. Like, think about it. We think these things. We hear these things kind of whispered to us. God doesn't want to hear you complaining about your problems. You can handle this. You're strong enough. God doesn't really care about me and so forth. In times of troubles, Christians often fall victims. We fall victims to being in self-pity, anger, or even morbid thoughts. Christians who face stress of the presence of God due to a gloom and doom perspective. James is directing us to pray and fight, to fight those urges to not go down paths we don't need to be on. 
In the same respect, Christians have elation. Uh, when, uh, Christians that have elation and excitement tend to forget uh, about the joy in their success. They kind of see themselves as, well, look at what I've done, right? In our pain and suffering, we tend to look at God and we shake our fists. But when things are going well, it's kind of like, can I pat myself on the back enough, right? We need to be praying and praising in the same way. When we pray, we are humbly coming before the Lord of hosts and saying, God, you are more than capable in helping us in our pain, and I will trust you and continue to believe that you are faithful. That idea of putting our trust and our faith in him. It's a general reminder of who's in charge. It's not us. Even though I sh the guy right here that struggles with control issues, I'd love to be in control. I'd love to be in charge. But I also know that when I'm normally in control of my life, that doesn't normally go well. Praise the Lord. He is in control. He goes before us and so forth. In the good times and the bad times, we must fight the urge to look within ourselves and look upward towards him. So verse 14 is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So this is going to be a little bit more of a teaching time because there's a couple phrases in here that I want to, hopefully when you leave here, you understand what, what James is really saying. And that is this. The question, what does it mean to be sick? That word sick, does it mean physical or does it mean spiritual? So while Paul often uses that verb sick in his writings to really be about spiritual or spirituality, however, in the Gospels and everywhere else, this verb refers to physical sickness. Given the early date of James, his dependence on Jesus' teaching and the fact that the other sufferings mentioned in his letter have referred to physical problems, I believe, as so do others, that really that the sick is referring to physical sickness. So why is that important? Here's why it's important. Some people have gotten it wrong. And when you, when you get Scripture wrong, you can go down wrong paths. Let me share this with you. Why the distinction is important, we must understand that because the traditional Catholic sacrament of extreme unction or last rites would lead some to believe that if sick meant spiritual, this prayer is a spiritual cleansing before someone dies. That is not the case in this passage. It really is referring to physical, physical sickness. In fact, this sick most likely is extreme sickness, not just say your common cold maybe, but extreme sickness that it's bad enough they call the elders in to come and pray because most likely they can't get out of bed to go to them. It's an important thing to take away. That sickness is physical sickness. Now, if you or someone you know is seriously sick, you need to fight the urge to do it alone and reach out to your church body, and specifically the elders of the church. Another reminder from James, and again, he gives us these reminders over and over again in his book, the reminder of the importance of being part of a body of believers. So the second piece is, let's talk about the oil. It says prayer, oil, elders, right? So the oil, 
I think the mistake that somebody get here, uh, the mistakes that we make here is that sometimes we don't realize, is it a symbolical ritual type thing or is it medicinal? In the ancient Mediterranean world, both medicinal and ritual, anoint here refers to a physical action with a symbolic significance. As the elders pray, they are to anoint the sick person in order to symbolize that the person is being set apart for God's work, his special attention and care. I asked Pastor Glenn, I said, hey, brother, you've been doing this longer than me. What do you, what do you think? Because I've, I've seen, and I have, I've seen him put oil on people. I've seen other pastors do it. And he gave me this, and I thought this was really, really good to take away. He said, he goes, Bill, I think it's symbol. It's, it's a symbol. It's, it's a reminder. And he said, truthfully, if you think about it, when you put that oil on somebody's head, it shines for the rest of the day. It's a good reminder for them when they look in the mirror or somebody looks at them to see the goodness of God of what he's doing in them. That kind of shine of the oil is that symbolic reminder of what God's doing. I thought that was a great takeaway, and I thank you for that, Pastor Glenn. Really kind of a cool thing. So eight out of nine times in the New Testament, it's a ritual anointing, not a medical substance, which means our takeaway is that you don't need to anoint with oil. It's, a symb it's symbolic, but it is a commendable practice. What's the key is, is the prayer part. Most important is that we pray and that, as the phrase says, in the name of the Lord, which means he is doing something. The elders praying over you, the oil are both good. Please do not leave here thinking that I'm saying those are wrong because they're good things to do. But we must fight the urge to think that this action and element holds some mystical power. The power comes from the Lord, and it is done solely by the will and power of God. It is God who overcomes. It is God who heals. And it is God who we must turn to. So let's look at verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. Again, here's something else, another action of the Lord. We don't raise people up, he does. And it says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So this verse has two separate parts. And the first part is this. The first part is making this bold claim that in the prayer of faith, God will heal the person whom we pray. That's a great bold claim, right? Good stuff there. Like me, some of you might be wonder, wondering, so what is prayer of faith? Like I, I originally was looking and I'm going, okay, I'm, you know, I read the scripture over and over again. And as Pastor Matt was leaving on Wednesday, I go, hey, brother, before you leave, that prayer of faith thing, he goes, study. Look in the books, look at the Greek, look in the translations, that'll lead you. And he's right. But sometimes we want the easy way out, right? Sometimes... I can be lazy with stuff like that. I'm sure you can be lazy too. So after much study and looking at the Greek and so forth, I really like it how the NLT says it, and then it says it this way. Such a prayer offered in faith will, be, will, will heal the sick person. This is a little bit clearer to me. Then I went back and looked in James of what he's saying, and I want to point out two things to you all because I think it, it supports that idea of where our faith, the prayer of the faith, praying in faith, what it means. So in James 1, 5 through 8, we learn to ask in faith without what? Doubting. Okay? 
that idea of having faith without doubting. And then we see in James 4.15, which is kind of, it brings it all together, and that is to remember that this is all contingent. Not what I'm doing, not if my prayer is great, my prayer is weak, my faith is weak, so forth. It's all contingent on God's will, as we saw back in James 4.15. God still retains the freedom to do his will and work things out in the ways that's best for his kingdom. That's the part that's hard for us here. He carries out his plan as we are called to put our full faith in him. That's what we're called to do. We're not supposed to pray somebody into feeling better. We're not supposed to pray somebody into whatever. It's our job of praying and putting our faith and not having doubt in the Lord that he is going to do mighty things despite what we think he should do. This is another instance where we must fight within ourselves. We must fight the doubt we have within. We must fight the idea that our plan is better than his. We must fight against the anger and bitterness we may have that God didn't heal somebody we wanted him to heal. We must remember that God is more interested in eternal spiritual life than a temporal physical life. That's hard to hear. We must fight having an earthly perspective and begin to have that eternal perspective as God has. Now, the second part of this verse says that he committed, that if he committed sins, he will be forgiven. Past sins may have, may well have caused this illness in this person. We don't know. The person sick would know full well the nature of the sin that had caused the sickness, and it says that he will be for, forgiven of those sins. But we must remember as a body of believers that certain illnesses are simply the consequences of living in a fallen world. And as I say often, and sometimes that world falls all over us. So what are our takeaways from this verse? We are called to pray with boldness, believing that he is a God of power and love, that he listens to the prayers of his people as scripture teaches us. We have to fight the doubt that we, have that, that we have a God that is not listening and he doesn't care. If he didn't care, folks, he wouldn't have sent his son. If there's no better picture, that's the picture. No doubt that he cares for us. So verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Here's another example that James is making it clear that Christian life should not be done apart from community. James says in verse 14 that the elders are responsible for prayer of intercession on behalf of the ills of, of those. And then the text widens to make prayer and confession something that all of us should be doing. All of us as a congregation for each other living in community. I can't stress this enough. What are there, 2.7 million billion people of us in the world? If God wanted us to do, be doing life by ourselves, he'd have given us each our own island. But I would tell you probably after a couple days, maybe a couple hours, you'd want to be with people again. Think about what COVID has done to us. I've, personally, I've learned so much about people and myself during this whole thing. Think about the isolation that we have, held, have felt during COVID. It just shows more and more how we just, we yearn for community. We yearn for that relationship with Christ. We yearn for that connection and relationship with each other. Confession of sin is not easy. 
right? Amen to that? Not always easy. We hate to admit when we're wrong. We hate to admit, truthfully, when sin has overtaken us and it's hindered us in areas of our life. It could be pride, feeling ashamed, whatever it could be. It could be a multiple reasons. It's just hard for us. So I'm going to have them put this quote up. I'm going to read this quote to you. It's a little long, but it's a really good quote, and truthfully, it's probably better than I can say it. God intended prayer to bring the body together so that when one person falls ill physically or spiritually, others in the community may intervene redemptively. Likewise, confession is not merely a mental activity as we talk to God in our individual prayer times, but a corporate activity that involves the people we have hurt or offended. Whether to bring humility and unity to a body of believers or to effect reconciliation between estranged parties, God clearly intended confession to be as much a part of our life together as prayer really important takeaway. The confessional is too, is, is too directional as we open ourselves up to God and we open ourselves up to each other. I must admit that some of my greatest victories in life have come when I have not only confessed sin to my Savior, but when I have confessed um, my sin to another brother or even to my wife. When we confess sin out loud, it's like we're doing this. We're taking it from darkness and bringing it into the light. That sin that we hold onto sometimes, it's in darkness. And just like we learn about Christ, that he came to be the light in the world, right? So we bring that, we bring that, um, that sin out of darkness. We confess it to another brother or sister, and it's, it, it just brings it to light. In my years of counseling, I have seen people that I've counseled for multiple months and I'm like, I, you know, I just can't figure out what's going on. And then one day they walk in and they're like, the Lord revealed to me I'm struggling in this sin. And then all of a sudden, just this huge healthiness comes upon them. It is so, so huge to be able to confess that sin. And that only comes from the confession of sin. When we confess, we grow. We grow in our relationships. And we grow with each other and with God. As this verse shows us, once we are healed through that confession of sin, as only Jesus can do, there is nothing hindering our relationship with God, which in turn makes our prayer life and our prayers more powerful. Hence why in this uh, uh, verse it says, the prayer of a righteous person. So that leads us to our final two verses, and that is verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a human being as we are. Again, I want to reiterate that. Elijah was just like us. And when he prayed, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. And then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced fruit. Like a good Jewish preacher, James supports his argument for prayer with an example out of the Old Testament. My suggestion to you all, because we don't have enough time to hammer it today is in your readings this coming week, open up 1 Kings 18, 1 through 46, and you'll learn about that story. It's the story of Ahab, how he came to power as a king over Israel, and we find that he was just such a horrible and evil person. But Elijah was simply a representative human being rather than some sort of superhero. He was just like us. He was a broken man. You can learn more about Elijah in, in Scripture. I mean, 
he was just praying. He was, he was faithful in his prayer to the Lord, and the Lord was faithful back to him. He prayed intentionally. Now, we don't know how many times Elijah prayed during that three-and-a-half-year period, but like Elijah, our prayers may often require persistence and patience. So who in this room likes waiting? You know what's funny? Nobody's raised their hand in any of the services, right? Hate it. Hate waiting. So hard. Hate waiting in line. We definitely hate waiting on the Lord when we're like, Lord, I need your help in this area. And it's like he goes, just wait. I've got it under control. You're going to learn. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But I got you. I got this. I'm in control. It is so hard to have that persistence and patience that we see probably from Elijah. James insists that as soon as Elijah asked, God acted both with the initial famine and then with the final coming of the rains. However, Elijah still had to wait on the Lord. Elijah is a great reminder for us as we become prayerful people. The conclusion for us as a Christian community from these two verses is strictly this. Prayer works, folks. I, I've said this. I will continue to say this. I should probably, as I say to my wife, I, should, I love putting stuff on T-shirts. God is still in the miracle business. So I shared with the first two services, my brother was born with an indent in his chest. Um, it looked literally like when he was born that somebody put a fist right there in his chest and he had like this little cavity. Jokingly, when we were in the pool, we used to put water in it. But that's, <laughs> if, if he were here, he would be laughing his butt off of that. So we used to, we used to love it. But anyway, um, what they found was after x-rays and so forth, they found that his, and I'm probably not telling the story exactly right. I hope I'm close. His heart was either turned sideways or it was upside down and it had a valve wrapped around it. So because of the way he was growing, it was creating this indent. Doctors were going to do the first, I believe my brother was going to be, the first open heart surgery patient at Frederick Memorial. They were bringing in doctors from Hopkins and so forth. So this is, you're talking 76, 77, something like that. So mom and dad said, you know what, before, before we let the doctors do this, we should really call people in for prayer. And I'll never forget in our house, on Sling of Lane outside of New Windsor. These people came over, put their hands on Robert, prayed for him. Robert goes in, I think, the next week or the next day for his uh, surgery, and the doctor goes, I don't know how it happened, but his heart's right. And then over a course of time, that little indenture grew back out. Folks, God did that. Not the people that laid their hands. I, I'm, not, I'm all for laying hands on people. But there was nothing magical going on by those people. It was our Lord and Savior who did that in my brother's life. Just an amazing, amazing story. So for me, I think back to that story. When I'm starting to doubt God's goodness, whether he answers prayers and so forth, I think about that story about my brother. He probably could tell the story better. But that's roughly how the story went. Just an amazing time of prayer and God showing his faithfulness to our family and what he did. So here's some takeaways for you. James teaches us that we have a deep, that we must have a deep concern 
for the sick and pray for them. One of the things that I've noticed about this church since I've been here since December 1st, you all have a deep passion for prayer. I see the prayer requests bouncing back and forth in emails. I see people praying for each other on a Sunday. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people just out in the hallway, hey, can I pray for you and you pray? Do not lose that. We need to be a church that is just saturated in prayer. You need to be praying for your pastors, your leaders, workers in children's ministry, you, you name it. Pray for everybody so that we can bring glory to him. In the good times and the bad times, we must fight the urge to look inward and really be looking upward towards God and outward towards each other. Confessing sin to God and others is an important part of our journey. And when we do, forgiveness is given. God will answer the prayers of his people in ways that often differ from our expectations. That's always a bummer. But the prayers of his people are never wasted. Even if all you did was wake up tomorrow morning and say, God, thank you for this day. That prayer is not wasted. He is not like some of us as parents. Here we go. They're asking another question, right? That's not the way he is. He, he longs, he, he wants to have that face-to-face -face relationship. So I must admit that prayer is still a mystery to me. I often think to myself, and my wife will be laughing at this, why is it when I pray for Michelle to change, he changes me? <laughs> right? How does that happen? I, people often ask, so what's, what's the question you're going to ask God when you get to heaven? You know, you've heard that. I've often thought, I'm going to go, Lord, how did you do that? Why is it that when we pray for others to change, he changes us? There's a mystery to it. I must also admit that my prayer life is not always what it should be. My prayers tend to be selfish. Anybody else, right? Praying selfish things. I pray for God to change people around me. Again, I said that. I pray for physical healing more than I do for spiritual healing. It's wonderful to be praying for each other for physical healing. Very, very important. But are we praying for our, our brothers and sisters for spiritual healing, for freedom from addiction, freedom from those sins? Is that, that's a great prayer life. I think about it. I don't pray enough for my friends that are unbelievers. Again, what does your prayer life look like? But then there are those times, those sweet, rich times those deep encounters with God when my prayers are so real and raw, that is where real transformation happens, where real life change happens. So I'd like you all to turn in your Bible. We're going to look at one more thing before I give you some gospel responses. Turn to Psalm 13. Six verses. And what I'd like while you're turning there is, I want you to look at, when, when I'm reading this to you, I want you to think of, Think of David's realness and rawness with God in those first four verses. And then I want you to hear him. It's like he goes, oh, Lord, I remember who you are. But I've, I've had people say to me, well, I, I, I can't pray that way to God. Really? He created you. He's a God of the universe. Not that it sounds snarky with you. He's got big shoulders. He can handle those prayers. Okay? Listen to David. And I'm sure we've all had this same prayer. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? It's like he's saying, where are you, Lord? Consider me, verse 3, consider me an answer. Lord, my God, restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. Verse 4, my enemies will say, I have triumphed over him and my foes will rejoice because I have shaken. When I read verse 4, this is what I hear. Lord, give me a win. I need a win. I'm tired of my enemies getting victory over me. But then he lands on this, verse 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. What a prayer. What a plea. Lord, where are you? But Lord, I will remember the great work you did in my brother, the great work I've seen you do in other brothers and sisters that I know. Father, I will remember the greatness and how faithful you are. Think about that this week. So here's my two gospel responses for you. One, ponder your prayer life this coming week. Is it more like an activity or a relationship? Are you being intentional to pray for others or are your prayers so selfish? Are you praying more for your comfort or are you praying for God's will to be done in your life no matter what that is? Be careful with that one, folks. His will be done, right? Wait a second, Lord. I'd rather just sit here and kind of be comfortable. Things are going well. Now, I stole this one from somebody in my readings, but man, it hit me between the eyes. What would happen if we regularly relaxed and spent time with our king at his banquet table rather than hurriedly shouting orders at the drive through window? Right? We've all done it. What if we sat, like, so Psalm 23, in there it says, uh, I set the table before you. I just, in seminary, I was like, that's kind of cool. And he said, why is it so cool? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And I remember Dr. Powers says, one of the cool things about it is he's setting the table to sit across from you. He's sitting the table to be face to face with you. He's setting the table for you to talk, to be prayerful, to include him in your life, to not just use it as a drive through window, right? That banquet table, do we take the time to sit across from him at that banquet table? And then lastly, here's your last gospel response, and this one might, might hurt a little bit. It hurt me as I wrote it. <laughs> you need to look in the mirror, folks. Do you, do you have unconfessed sin in your life? Are you meeting with anyone or a few people each week that you confess that sin to? That's why I love this brother right here, Pastor Glenn. We talk about this kind of stuff. We talk about the, the fears, the anxiety, the, the sin. We talk about that stuff. It's good. It is so good to share that stuff with another brother or sister. Do you have someone other than your spouse who's holding you accountable? And lastly, is sin hindering your relationship with God and your prayer life? You need to look in the mirror, folks. 
So I came across with many, many quotes about prayer. Many. And I'm sure you all have some good quotes yourself. But I came across this quote by Judson Cornwall. He is an old charismatic preacher. I don't know much about him. I saw that he wrote 50 books. I don't know if those books are any good. I don't know what his theology is. I don't know anything about him. But his quote got me thinking all week. I thought about this all week. And I'd like to pass it on to you all, and that's the way we're going to end. Prayer is talking to the Father, not simply because we are confused or confounded, but because we are lonesome for him. Think about that. Because we are lonesome for him. Let that rattle around this week and just think about those gospel responses that we gave you. Okay, let me pray for us. Father, I come before you, Lord, and I just thank you, one, for giving me the strength and sustaining me this day, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. Again, we said this earlier. It is truth, Father, and we thank you that we can come to you for the truth. Father, thank you that you are on the other side of the banquet table wanting to listen to us, Lord. Father, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for listening to our prayers. Thank you for not pushing us aside, Father. Thank you for loving us the way you do. And Father, most importantly today, Father, thank you that you sent your son to make a way for us, Father. We were lost, dirty rags, Father. And you loved us enough to send your son, and we thank you. Father, I just want to encourage everybody this day to really just let us work on our prayer life with you, Father. Let us confess sin to each other. Let us have victory through you, Father. Thank you, Father. I lift this up to you in your son's holy, precious name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
good seeing everyone. Good to see your smiling faces with no mask. Um, my charge to you would be this. Look in the mirror and look at your prayer life. He is waiting to have that conversation with you. He just, it's just so important to prayer life. Uh, go today. Make much of Jesus and uh, really uh, bring glory to God. Have a great day you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.